Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. Let's open up our Bibles, if you will, to Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans chapter 12. We're going to use this verse here in Romans chapter 12 as a springboard for all the things that we want to talk about tonight. Let's all get a Bible out. I'll actually make it very easy on you tonight. We'll only be in a couple of different places throughout the duration of our time together. But let's all be ready to follow along in the Word of God for these next few minutes. It's really great to see everybody this evening. We've got a great crowd once again and... I hope you've had a pleasant afternoon, whether you maybe got outside and did something enjoyable, or whether you rested, or did a little bit of work, or ran some errands, whatever it is, I'm glad that you chose to allocate this period of time this evening to come back here and to be involved in the worship of God for this second time here on the first day of the week. In Romans the 12th chapter, I want to get right to it, in this great list of very practical admonitions and uh, duties of what it is to be a Christian, Paul says in Romans 12 and in verse 15, he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is not generally considered to be the season of weeping, is it? The songs that are pouring out of the radio tell us that this is the most wonderful time of the year. Everyone is wishing you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, there's all kinds of movies and television shows and specials and advertisements and billboards that depict families and friends and people getting together and the joys of just being together at this time of the year. All around us we're seeing cheery scenes and bright colors. It's festive and it's jolly. It certainly seems like it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. But it's not for everyone. Not everyone finds the holiday season to be the hap, hap, happiest season of them all. For some, this period of time between Thanksgiving and New Year's is a time of great sadness. It's a time of pain. It's even a time sometimes of depression. There is a myth that suicide rates actually go up in December. That's actually not true. But what is true is that there are a lot of people, and that includes a lot of Christians, who have a really tough time during the holidays. Maybe they were having a tough time prior to the holidays, but there's just something about this particular segment of the year that just has a sense of kind of heightening the toughness of it, the jolliness and the kind of the pressures of the holiday season. It's just especially tough during this time of the year. And you might be wondering at this time, well, who exactly are we talking about? Well, this evening I'm talking about several categories of people. I'm talking about people who are, people who are grieving. Those who have lost a loved one. Maybe not just in the past year, maybe a loved one that's been lost for quite some time. And so they are experiencing what was written there on the front page of the bulletin. They are experiencing the empty chair at holiday time. Since the holiday season is very much about being together with family and with close loved ones, the very prospect of going through all of the holiday traditions without this person that we miss so much, it's almost more than some people can bear. Secondly, this evening, I'm talking about people who are dealing with just some very unfortunate circumstances at this time of the year. Maybe because of expenses or because of work obligations or some other reason, maybe, maybe you can't travel to be with your family at this time. Maybe there's just certain logistics that are preventing uh, your family coming to you. Maybe the maybe you've got grown-up kids, and well, this is the year that the in-laws, they get to go spend time with them. And so as a result, come Christmas Day at your house, it's, it's going to be empty. It's going to be really quiet in there. 
Maybe there's been a divorce in the family and there's all kinds of difficulties with that about who's going to get the kids when and where. Maybe there's just friction and tension of some kind of difficulty that's just happening within the family unit. Maybe there's a prodigal child or a prodigal sibling or a prodigal parent. And as a result of that, there's just always a note of sadness in the room when the family gathers together. And then thirdly this evening, I want to say a word about those who are lonely at this time of the year. At a time of year when it seems like everybody is just getting together. Everybody's laughing and enjoying one another's company. At a time when it seems like everybody's got a significant other. There's couples everywhere and they're smooching under the mistletoe. What's it like when, what's it like when you're all alone? Maybe you are single. Maybe that's by choice, but maybe that's actually not by choice. If you are a widow, then congratulations, you fit into two of these categories because not only are you lonely, There's a good chance you are also grieving. So people who are grieving, people who are frustrated over the various circumstances that life deals their way, and people who are lonely, these are the people that I'm talking about and that I am talking to this evening. The Bible tells us in Romans 12 and verse 15 that we are to weep with those who weep. And what that means then is that means that rather than ignoring our brothers and our sisters whenever they find themselves in a time of distress and in a time of sorrow, rather than just going to them and urging them, oh, just, just get over it, just put a happy face on and just kind of just brave your way through that. Instead, the Bible says we want to help each other. We want to be there for one another in times of trouble. So that's what I intend to do for these next few minutes tonight. I want to try as best I can to offer some help for the holiday blues. I'll tell you right now, I cannot answer everything about everything. I don't have a solution for every scenario. But I can direct us to the book that I believe does provide us with help and it provides us with answers for whenever we are down, whenever we are sad, and whenever we are hurting. And the reason we want to go to that book is because it is a book from God. And since God is near to those who are brokenhearted, Psalm 34, 18, then we want to find the comfort and the solutions that His Word offers us in its pages. And I'll go ahead and tell you right now, I am under no delusions tonight that over the course of the next 30 minutes or so, that I'm going to have us be able to look at some verses and I'm going to make two or three points. And as a result, that's just going to fix everything for everybody. But what this will provide for us tonight is it's going to provide for us a start. And I want to do that tonight from a very familiar story in the Bible, and it's found in John the 11th chapter. Would you find John chapter 11, please? This is a chapter that in many ways, it's just one of the saddest chapters in the Bible, at at least until you get to the end. And what it does is it helps us to see that people who are dealing with, with pain and with sorrow and what that's like to go through that, what it does is it provides for us a great place to go and learn some principles about what to do whenever life just isn't very good. And as soon as you find John chapter 11, you're going to remember that this story is the story of Lazarus. That Lazarus is sick, and in fact, Lazarus is dying. And so read with me at the top of the chapter. In John chapter 11, let's just read a few verses here. In John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sisters sent to him, sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. 
But when Jesus heard it, He said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when He heard that Lazarus was ill, He stayed two days longer in the place where He was. Then after this, He said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. Let's just stop right there. I think that's a good starting place for us tonight. Because it shows us, we're right out of the gate, right there in those first few verses, it shows us some people who are having a hard time. And in some ways, what happens here in these first few verses, it's kind of unexpected. Because what we would expect, knowing Jesus and knowing who He is and knowing His character, we would know that if Jesus is such good friends with Lazarus and Mary and Martha, like the Bible says that He is, well then surely, surely He's going to travel to their home and immediately and directly He's going to heal him. But he doesn't. And that gives rise to this first help from John the 11th chapter tonight. And that is the recognition that God is the one who is in control, not me. Now I want to be very careful this evening, because I don't want to make the same mistake that I preached about last Sunday that John Calvin made when talking about the sovereignty of God. Because John Calvin taught that the sovereignty of God meant that God was in control of everything, meaning God causes everything to happen. That He directly intervenes and causes every single detail of life to happen, all the way down to the most minute and the most mundane. That's not so. Sometimes things happen, sometimes bad things happen. It's not the work of God, sometimes it's the work of Satan. The devil is very much alive and active in this world today. And he most certainly is behind much of the pain and the sorrow and the grief that exists in our world. last thing I would ever want to do is go blaming God for something that the devil is responsible for. But at the end of the day, I want you to remember this. At the end of the day, God is still even able to use the pain and the suffering, that maybe the devil is the one who introduced that into our lives, God is able even to use that in order to accomplish His will and His purposes. And so it is in that sense that I am saying this evening that God is in control. That God's going to do what God's going to do. He's going to get done what He wants to get done. And I believe that when we look at John the 11th chapter, that's what we're seeing here in this story. That God was in control of these circumstances with Lazarus. Jesus knew exactly what was going on. He knew what was happening to Lazarus. He knew what Lazarus needed. He knew when it was that he needed to go to him. He was completely in control. Now I want to say, that doesn't mean that he caused Lazarus to get sick. And I don't believe that that even means that he wanted Lazarus to get sick. There's not a doubt in my mind that the Lord right there, He was in control of that situation. Which means then, you and I, you and I need to acknowledge who it is that's in control of our lives. Maybe this particular situation that I'm dealing with right now in my life, it's bringing me so much unhappiness, so much distress, so much sorrow. What I need to do is I need to remember that God's on the throne, And God is in control. Because if God thought that this was something that I'm dealing with, if this was something that was just utterly impossible, just absolutely impossible for me to bear, then what would God do? God would change it, wouldn't He? God would remove that if it was something I was physically and literally unable to bear. 
And so the fact that God hasn't changed it, that says a lot about what's going on in our lives, doesn't it? That maybe like Lazarus, maybe God's got some bigger plans in mind. Maybe God has plans to do something really great out of our suffering. It may mean that God's using this circumstance, this trial, to teach me something, to shape me in some way, to strengthen me, to be better. Or it may mean that God is doing something far even beyond anything that involves me because because it isn't always just about me. Just like this story here in John 11. Think about it. This story is feeding our faith 2,000 years later. You think Mary and Martha and Lazarus understood that? Absolutely not. There's no way they could have understood that. God is at work. And God is in control. And God is executing His will. And let's be honest. Sometimes, sometimes that really is what fuels our unhappiness. When things are not going well, they tend to just be made even worse over the fact that, well, I recognize God's in control. And you know what? I really don't like what He's doing. I don't like what God's trying to accomplish in my life right now. This hurts. This is painful. I want it to go away. I wish God would just give me the steering wheel. Let me drive this car for a while. I'll take the reins of all of this. I wish God would just get out of the way so I can do what I want to do. And if you think you are the only one to ever feel that, I would draw your attention here to John chapter 11. Drop down to verse 21. Because by the time Jesus did get to Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house, Lazarus was dead. And Martha just flat says in verse 21, Martha said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There you go, God. You just messed up. And while I don't think Martha entirely maybe had the right attitude about this, and I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment, she did at least recognize in this moment that it is the Lord who was in control. And the reason it is so important that we come to that same realization, that same conclusion, is because as soon as I recognize just who it is that's in control, then what that does is that enables me to learn to accept what I am unable to change. Once we say, okay, this is not really what I had hoped for. This is not really what I would prefer. This is not what I thought was going to happen. But you know what? This is the way that it is. This is the lot that I have been cast. And what that does is that then frees us up to accept the things that we cannot change and then move forward. Instead of being crippled and paralyzed, I can move forward in faith. Kids can't come home for Christmas this year. Well, we can sit around and whine and pout about that. But I tell you, being Eeyore, that doesn't change anything. That just makes us miserable, doesn't it? Or you know what? I don't have a significant other here during the holiday time. Everybody else got boyfriends and girlfriends and husbands and wives. And so I guess there's a couple things. I guess I could sit around and just listen to all those sappy Taylor Swift songs until my ears bleed. Or I can decide, you know what? I don't have to have somebody else in order to be happy. In other words, we change what we can change. And then we just leave the rest to the Lord. And why do we do that? Because He's in control. He is in control and we are not. Let's put our faith in Him. Let's trust that He knows what He's doing. He's been doing a pretty good job of running this universe for as long as He has, hasn't He? Let's trust Him. I believe this recognition, I believe this is actually very liberating. Because it helps us then to be able to deal with some of this hurt 
that we experience, especially at holiday time. Stay right there in verse 21. Because I think John 11 verse 21, I think it gives us this second big help. And that is that we need to learn what it is to be honest with our emotions. But I want you to listen very carefully here. We're going to be honest with our emotions, but we're not going to let our emotions rule us. Now you read verse 21, and there's there's no doubt about it. There's a lot of honesty here. Look at it again. Martha says, Lord, if you had been there, my brother wouldn't have died. I want you to notice then what follows in the very next verse. Look in verse 22. Then she says, but even now I know that whenever you ask from God, God will give it to you. And in fact, there's more. Drop down to verse 27. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Yes, there is that raw, honest emotion of verse 21. But did you notice? It's not just unchecked, unbridled emotion. It's not all out-of-control sorts of emotion. In fact, in many ways, as I think about Martha here, it reminds me so much of the song. Because many times when you're reading in the Psalms, have you ever noticed the psalmists are just, they're very honest about how they're feeling. Lord, I, Lord, I just feel alone. Lord, I feel like I've been forsaken. Lord, I feel like you've just forgotten me here. But I tell you this, even though those psalmists are honest, you'll never find them blaspheming. You'll never find the psalmist just turning away from God. God, I can't believe you did this to me. I hate you. No. Read Psalm 22. Read Psalm 44. Those passages, and Martha here in John chapter 11, they show us that while we don't want to deny how it is that we feel, we never want to use our emotions as an excuse for, for bad behavior or even for sinning. Martha and Mary do not blaspheme Jesus here. They do not throw that hissy fit and scream at Him and say, You faker! You liar! You said that you loved us! You said that you loved Lazarus. If you really did, you would have healed him and not allowed him to die. We hate you. No. There's none of that here. All of this is to say is that those emotions that we feel whenever we are hurting, especially at that time of year like this, where there is so much pressure to be put on the face of happiness and jolliness and just being just so rambunctious, what that does is that puts us in a very dangerous and tempting position. We want to watch out. We want to be careful not to be taken over by our emotions. Now you know what the world says about your emotions, don't you? The world says, just give full vent. Just let it all hang out. You just say what you want to say. You just let that, you know, let let the steam out. Just get it off of your chest. Just get it all out there and you just do it in any way that you want to get it all out there. I ran across a psychology website that actually was talking about this and they said this was their So their suggestion, they said, you feel how you want to feel, and you express how you feel, and you know what? There aren't really any shoulds about it. And I read that and I thought, well, hold on just a second here. For a Christian, there are some shoulds. As a disciple of Jesus, in fact, there's a whole lot of shoulds. Things that we should do. Things that we always should do. Why? Because we're children of God. Hold your place in John here. Would you look back in Proverbs with us? Grab this verse from Proverbs. In Proverbs 29, just because the world says, oh, you just you just say whatever you want, you just, just let it out. That, that's therapeutic. Just shout it out. Just cut loose. However you want to say it. 
That doesn't mean that it's right or that it's even the wise thing to do. Case in point, Proverbs 29, look in verse 11. A fool, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. You see, it's not always wise to just let it all out. And remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26 about being angry without sinning. That's the Bible telling us that our emotions, they do need to be handled with care. They need to be treated carefully and with self-control, even as we are trying to be honest with how we feel. If we're not careful, our emotions can get the best of us and it can lead to sin, especially if we end up buying into some of the myths that are usually tend to kind of accompany this particular time of the year. For example, sometimes you'll hear people say things like, and they'll particularly say this to people who are grieving, they'll say, well, you know, you'll feel a whole lot better whenever things get back to normal. Get back to normal? The only place that you find normal, folks, is in the dictionary. When you have built a life with somebody, when you have loved somebody, when you have cared for somebody for a very, very long time, there's no normal after you go to the cemetery to see them. You're never going to be the same. In fact, if you could be the same, that probably would say something about the quality of life that you had with that person before they died. Yes, there'll be a new normal, but it's never going to be normal like the way it was before. Or somebody else says, the people who are hurting at this time of year, they'll say, well, what happens is, is you just need to go through those five stages of grief. Those five stages of grief, those get lots of airplay and it's circulated a lot today. And I think that's the reason for that is because people are just so enamored today with the idea of a, of a quick fix and pop psychology. There's certainly some truth to the various phases that people go through whenever they are hurting and grieving. But this idea that it's some kind of a stair-step program, you do two weeks here, you do seven days here, and do 13 days here, and oh, oh, kabang, I'm done with all of my grieving, no more grief for me. Folks, that's not how it works. Grief is often like a roller coaster with lots of ups, maybe lots more downs. It's two steps forward and then three steps back. It's not some 5K where we rush through it and okay, I got all my grief done and now I'm done with that. No. No, usually it's a marathon. It's a lifetime marathon. Which means we need to give ourselves time. We need to maybe even as well give ourselves some slack. Especially during the holidays. When there's all this talk at holiday time, I know it's the case in our home, we'll talk about memories of Christmas's past. There's some pretty famous McKibben Christmas videos from 1999 and 2000. And me and my brother Aaron, we're always quick to talk about those and how funny that was and trying to recreate those memories again. There's all kinds of that. We're looking at old pictures and we're doing all that kind of stuff. It's natural then to feel a little bit of heartache at this time of the year. So what do we want to do? We want to, we want to work with that. We want to work with the emotions that are coming to the surface. Or what about this thinking that says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm so hurting. I'm so down. And as a result, I don't want to be around others. I, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be near anybody else. I just want to isolate myself off. And I don't want anybody to be around me. Just leave me alone. Of course, in the Bible, isolation is never your friend. Galatians 6 talks about the idea of bearing one another's burden. Whenever I pull back from others, particularly when I pull back from my spiritual family, and I don't want to talk to anybody, 
And I don't want to tell anybody about the pain that I'm feeling, the hurt that I'm experiencing. Let me ask you, how in the world can they come and bear those burdens? How can they come and do that Romans 12 thing and weep with me? Being isolated and being withdrawn, being left alone to our thoughts and being a prisoner of our mind where we just dig ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper into despair, that doesn't help at all. Somebody maybe says here, well, but Josh, you know, Christians, Christians aren't supposed to be all, all sad and all down in the dumps. In fact, doesn't it say in the Bible, we're to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. That's who we're supposed to be. And apparently there is this myth. There's this myth that Christians apparently always carry around a can of paint in their back pocket, face paint, that they're able to paint on a big happy face anytime they're around others and people in the world. But you know what? I think about that, and I guess, I guess Jesus didn't get the memo about always putting on a happy face. Would you go back to John chapter 11? Probably the most famous verse out of the whole chapter. What's John 11 verse 35 say? After Jesus arrives there at the tomb where Lazarus was laid, John 11 verse 35 says that Jesus wept. Jesus demonstrates for us that being honest with our emotions, that can be good. In fact, I think in some cases it's just absolutely necessary. That it can be done in a way where we don't paralyze ourselves and where we do not draw ourselves away from God and as a result we're harboring sinful and wicked attitudes and maybe even doing sinful things. And what we simply want to do as we look at Jesus there in John eleven thirty five, 35 is we just want to follow His example. If we're sad, if we are frustrated, if we are upset with the circumstances that we have been dealt, we can feel without throwing away our Christianity and our walk with God. Remember, we were made by God to have emotions. He is the one who gave those emotions to us. We don't want to let those emotions rule us Instead, we want to use those emotions. Those emotions, if you thought about this, those emotions many times can then be the basis for prayer. I mean good praying to God. You read in the Psalms. Those guys are emotional, and what do they do? They cry out to the Lord. Or you think about Jesus in Luke chapter 22 in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is overwrought with emotion. What does He do? He prays to His Father. Those emotions as well. They can also provide the basis for soliciting the help of our brothers and sisters. That we can use those emotions and we can say, I need your encouragement. You can see visibly on me that I am hurt. And now I'm asking for your encouragement. I'm asking for your prayers. Will you pray with me? Will you pray for me? We weep so that others can weep with us. Think about it. If you never show any kind of emotion... How is anybody going to know that you need help? How are we ever going to do Galatians 6.2? How are we ever going to do Romans 12.15? We are human. We do feel. And that's okay. All of that then leads, and that ought to drive us to this third and final help from John the 11th chapter. And that is, at holiday time or any time, when we are hurting and we are experiencing pain, what we want to do is we want to just keep on serving the Lord anyway. Despite the pain, despite the difficulties, we want to keep serving Jesus. Would you look again at John chapter 11? In this chapter, there are just a number of people here who are they're experiencing all kinds of emotion, lots of people who are hurting, lots of people who are affected by the sickness and by the death of Lazarus. 
Here's a lot of people in this chapter who they didn't really understand what was happening. They finally just had to accept that God's in control, but I really don't understand and get it. Yet I want you to notice that even as they are experiencing all of those various things, these are people who continue to serve the Lord anyway. Look in verse 16, for example. In verse 16, so Thomas, called the twin, he said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. The disciples were saying, Jesus, you better not go back up there to Judea. Don't go up there to where Lazarus is. Those people are going to kill you. Jesus says, I'm going anyway. You know what Thomas says? Thomas says, then I'm going too. I'm going to serve the Lord. Or drop down to verse 31. In verse 31, we read about these Jews who come. In verse 31, when the Jews who were with her, with Martha in the house, consoling her, they saw Mary rise quickly and go out, and they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. What's happening here? These are people who are doing what they're supposed to do. They're comforting this woman. They are assisting her in her time of grief. They continue to serve the Lord. Drop down to verse 41. In verse 41, when Jesus comes to the tomb, what's He say? He says, take away the stone. And guess what? Somebody got up and did it. Somebody did what Jesus told them to do, even as they were grieving. And then verse 45, this really sums up everything. Verse 45, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what He did, they believed in Jesus. Over and over again, we see people in John the 11th chapter who did the right thing, even in the midst of uncertainty and even in the midst of sadness. When we have difficulties in our life, whatever they are and whenever they are, what happens all too often is we end up not looking up, we end up looking at ourselves. We start in with all the woe is me stuff. I'm so lonely. No one has ever been as sad as I am. My holiday season has just been so awful. All of that is a mistake. Focusing on myself, that is never a good idea. Because it takes the focus away from where it needs to be. The focus needs to be on the Lord. And listen to me here. There are no circumstances. I don't care what it is. You can imagine the most terrible scenario that anybody could ever experience. There is no circumstance where I can say, you know what, I get a pass today. I'm so blue, I'm so down, I don't have to worry about serving Jesus today. I'm just going to focus on me. No, there is no such pass in Scripture like that. In every single circumstance, we serve the Lord. In the Bible, I tell you, in the Bible we find lots of people who serve the Lord despite their trials and their difficulties. I think about Joseph. We studied that in my class this morning. I think about Esther. I think about guys like Daniel. I think about Paul in the New Testament. I think about some of those prophets and the things that they endured and how they just kept on trucking and serving the Lord anyway. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. When we read Ezekiel recently in our Bible reading, we stumbled across something I had never paid attention to before. In Ezekiel chapter 24, God tells Ezekiel that his wife is going to die. And he tells Ezekiel, I don't want you to even mourn for her. Because that's going to be a sign to the rest of the people. I'm going to use you as an object lesson to them. Don't you even mourn. And in Ezekiel 24 and in verse 18, she dies. 
How hard was that? How hard was that? How hard was it to do what the Lord said in that difficult circumstance? Yet Ezekiel did exactly what the Lord told him to do. Think about Paul. So lonely there in that Roman prison cell. But he never stopped serving Jesus. There are people in the Bible who had significant, tough times. Some dire circumstances. A whole lot worse than the kids didn't come home for Christmas this year. Or I didn't get any of the presents that I wanted under the tree. If you are down, if you are hurting, if your life is not going well, do not ever allow that to stop you from serving God. Those spiritual disciplines that need to be a daily part of our life like prayer and Bible reading and Bible study, those things need to be a fixture. I don't care what's going on. Those things need to be immovable. Things like worship. Coming to be with my brothers and sisters as we worship God on the Lord's Day and whatever other opportunities those are. I need to continue to do that. And as well, I need to say, you need to look for opportunities to serve. I would say this especially to those that are lonely. If you are lonely, don't just sit around waiting for people to come to you. Get up and go to them. And you know what? During the holidays, there's lots of opportunities to serve others. There's going to be soup kitchens and charitable kinds of things. Go down to the food pantry. There's all kinds of opportunities to do something for others, people who are less fortunate than yourself. Even in sorrow, we can find ways to get out of ourselves and be of service to others as we serve the Lord. And I'm trying, not trying to say at all this evening that if you get up, you're lonely, and it's a tough time of the year for you, and if you go down and you serve at a soup kitchen one afternoon, that all of a sudden everything in your life is going to be great now. I'm not saying that. But it will make you better. It will make you better whenever you faithfully serve God. Even at a time when a lot of people would tell you, oh, well, you just can't. Have you ever thought about those voices that are telling you, well, you just can't. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe that's the devil saying that. And what you then need to say in response is you need to say, oh, oh, I can. And I will. I'm going to keep on serving the Lord regardless. Now, as we put all of these thoughts together, I hope a couple of things. I hope, first of all, I hope that you see that there are some very complicated things about the holidays. Lots of times things that we don't often think about if things are going great and grand for us. But we need to think about it. We conclude then tonight with two very specific appeals. First of all, to those of us uh, who are in the middle of what we might feel is just the hap, hap, happiest time of the year, let's hit the pause button and let's be aware Let's be aware of the fact that not everybody is happy. Not even every one of our brothers and sisters are as happy as we are during this time of the year. Not everybody's Christmas is going to turn out like a Thomas Kincaid postcard. What we ought to do is we ought to be mindful of those folks. We ought to reach out to them. Be ready to weep with those who weep. And then secondly, for those of you who are struggling... There are some here that I know the struggles that you deal with and others of you I don't know. Can I just say to you, you need to meet us halfway on this. You need to tell us. You need to come out and say, hey brother, I'm struggling. 
Hey, sister, I'm having a hard time. I'm very lonely. Could you maybe come and keep me company? Can we go and do something together? Hey, I I miss my loved one so much, and it's just really causing me a lot of grief. Could you just be mindful of that? Maybe think about some extra encouragement. Would you pray with me? Would you help me in some kind of way? What I'm saying to you is you need you need to weep a little. You need to let us weep with you. So that as the family of God, we can help each other even through the difficult seasons of life. That is our commitment to one another even as we are committed to the Lord. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing the song of invitation that Sawyer has selected. We're going to sing that song to encourage, that's what this song is all about, to encourage anybody who wants to solicit the help of this local body of believers to be in a right relationship with the Lord and to serve God as you should. If you're not a Christian, all things are ready for you to become a Christian tonight. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if you're willing to confess that, if you're willing to repent and turn from sin and turn to God, then tonight we'd love nothing more than to baptize you into Jesus so that you can be a Christian. You can begin serving Him. You can help us. We'll help you. Brother or sister, if there is sin in your life, in fact, it may not even be that there is sin in your life. Maybe this lesson has caused you to think about you're just going through some tough stuff right now. And what you need right now is you need to make that known. You need to tell us what it is that we can do to help. If it's praying with you right here, right now, while we're all gathered together as the assembly, we will do that. And if there's something more that we can do to encourage you, we stand ready to do that as well. We're here to help each other, help each other to go to heaven. If we can help you to do that tonight, would you make your way down front? Do that while we stand and while we sing.